Welcome to the Sports and Torts Podcast, your go-to podcast for entertaining conversations on sports, law, and business. This podcast is powered by the J. Stein Law Firm, a personal injury law firm in Atlanta, Georgia. And now, here is your host, Joshua Stein. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning back in for another episode of Sports and Torts, and we've got yet another one, another great episode lined up for y'all today. With us is the pride of Lula, Georgia, a graduate of high school in Gray, Georgia, and currently the main man of Gainesville, Georgia, a proud veteran of the United States Army and Georgia Army National Guard, and a record-setting personal injury attorney who holds the highest wrongful death jury verdict against a trailer company in his region's history. That's right. Mr. Shane Lazenby is in the house. My man, how are you? I'm doing well, Josh. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you coming here today. You know, when, when you got here, we were talking about Gray, Georgia, which you graduated high school from. And uh, I brought up baseball. It seems to happen a lot on my podcast because that's what my family is involved in. And my son, I was telling you that uh, his, his team, he's 12, his main nemesis is a factory select team from Gray, Georgia. I believe it. Gray is baseball country. I was never a good enough athlete to play there, but uh, it's it's a big baseball place. It is, and they travel all over Metro Atlanta to play in these tournaments. And they, like I said, we go back and forth, back and forth. So I know big, I know sports is big down there, and that just it's just funny that just just came to my mind. But anyway, thank you for coming down here today. We're at my office in the Battery. I mentioned you came from Gainesville. Not that, that long of a trip, but I do appreciate you shooting over here today. Absolutely. We- weather's not great for you. No, but I'm happy to be here, happy to make the trip. Yeah, so introduce yourself, um, you know, kind of your firm, family, background, that kind of thing. Sure. Well, um, uh, Shane Lazenby, I've uh, been practicing law for about 23 years, um, almost 24, I guess, will be this year. Um your law, pra- your law practice can legally drive an automobile. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and drink alcohol. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My, uh, uh, I'm married to um, Jennifer. Jennifer and I have been married since 2000. We'll celebrate our 23rd anniversary in September. We have four kids. Jackson, who's 21, he's a junior at Georgia. Allie, who's 17, she's a high school senior at North Hall. Sawyer, who is 13, he's a seventh grader. And then Lily, who is... 11 and she is a sixth grader and uh when i'm not practicing law they keep me pretty doggone busy my law office is lazenby law group in gainesville um i have uh i'm a solo guy like yourself i have a paralegal and a assistant and they're great ladies and um also have a kind of a new venture that i'm sure we'll probably talk to talk a little bit about it's called legion mediation and it is a mediation company that uh we've opened in my building too so awesome we'll get to all that but my mind immediately goes to your son who's a junior at georgia right now great time living his best life he is he is and he is living it up he uh loves being a college student at uga uh he's a junior and says he's gonna go on to law school i, I would love to see that it'd be great i was gonna ask you if, if uh if he's gonna fa- follow your footsteps and join the family business maybe one day says he is we'll see i i'm uh i think i'm a fair boss but i'm also a, a pretty strict boss and uh, he'll have to make some adjustments in his lifestyle compared to the way he lives right now but uh yeah we'll uh We'll do our best to make that happen. There's, I'd love it if any of my kids came on board. There's a lot of, um, you know, father-son, father-daughter, mother-son, mother-daughter combos around town, people working together. I always thought that would be super, super cool. Oh, I, would, I, I, I can't wait. If it does happen, I can't wait. I think it'll be great. So, of course, my law firm is the J. Stein Law Firm. My son, uh, his name is Graham. He always says, well, Dad, it'll be the G. Stein Law Firm if I ever join you. I'm like, whoa, 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 bro. <laughs> Slow your roll here, man. Come on. But uh, I'm with you. I think it would be super, super neat. So um, your firm type of cases you handle, I mean, strictly all personal injury cases? Personal injury and wrongful death. That's all that we do. Uh, hadn't done anything else in a good little while now. Yeah. And um, you are you mentioned solo practitioner, which is just you. It is. Same as me. I'm, I'm the only only lawyer in my firm. And I'm, I'm trying to think back, like, of all the lawyers I've had on here, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody. Uh, well, Andy Golden, of course, and Brian Cameron on here. But other than them, like, I haven't had many true solo practitioners. So um, for me, it's a great fit. I love I love it that way. How about you? Is it something you intentionally decided, like, hey, I just want to be myself? It is. It is. I enjoy being by myself and uh, being responsible. I'm not the best delegator in the world. And 
I try not to be a micromanager at the same time. If my son comes on board, I'm going to pledge not to be that way. But, uh, yeah, it's a great fit for me. I've had some folks sharing space with me before, like you do here, and uh, uh, great relationships with some really, really fine lawyers, but I've been on my own for a while now. And then Gainesville, I mentioned, um, you know, Lula, where you were born, which is just north of Gainesville. So was that always the idea to come back and practice, if you could, in Gainesville? So I always considered Gainesville home. Uh, left there in 87. I was 15 and um, finished high school in Jones County in Gray, but came back in 2004 when my wife and I moved back up there and uh, been there ever since. And like I said, it was always home, so I always wanted to come back there. Do you consider yourself a Gainesville, like small town lawyer, or do you consider yourself Metro Atlanta, cover the state of Georgia, can kind of do it all? Uh, kind of a mix between the two, probably. I consider myself a small-town lawyer still, but I've got cases all over the state and been all over the state, been up into South Carolina, been over to Louisiana, done some things pro hoc in those states as well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a, a small-town law practice with a big-town feel, kind of. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like that. That'd be a good tagline. Yeah. Uh, maybe it is your tagline. I don't no, know. <laughs> no, it's not. I think I stole it from somebody. But. Okay. Uh, but, but you know, being in Gainesville, of course, that's Hall County. Um, I mean, you have a very strong reputation, you know, uh, for people that don't practice there very often. It's kind of the go-to person to associate on cases if needs be. I mean, I just did that with you in the last couple months. You know, um, I don't practice in Hall County that often. If I get a case up there, of course, I can handle it. But, um I think having someone like you that is that is from there that you know knows the judges knows the jury pool is a tremendous advantage in the case. Well, I appreciate you saying that. We've got some fine, fine lawyers up there. I mean, there's some great guys that do uh, personal injury and wrongful death, like you and I do. Um, but uh, it, it, it does have its advantages to be in a little bit of a tight knit community and, and know the judges and, and know the jury pool. Uh, I mean, I grew up in the eastern part of the county. Um, but I now live in the northern part of the county, and and around Hall County, that's a very distinct difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, East Hall versus North Hall versus West Hall versus South Hall. So, got a little bit of uh, all of it uh, that I'm familiar with up there. Yeah, and then even just knowing how the individual judges, kind of how they practice, you know, how they run their courtrooms. Like I could tell you in Cobb County all day long, but the case we had, I was like, well, how is this particular judge likely to rule in this major issue? Yeah, right. Yep. Um, and I think insurance companies, they recognize that. Like when they see your name associated with a, with a certain county or they see other people, like that does add value. It, it does get their attention. Um, so, so good stuff. Now, you mentioned uh, small town lawyer, big town feel, something like that. Yeah. I butchered it. But what I did see is your tagline or, or motto is experience, dedication, integrity. Right. Three strong <laughs> words. I like that. Talk to me about that. Well, um, when I first opened, so my firm celebrates the 10-year mark on October 1st. So I came out on October 13th from a defense firm and just wanted to sort of create a tagline that I think speaks volumes about what I wanted my law practice to be like. I had a fair amount of experience. I felt good about my experience. Um, and then I, 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 don't, I don't want to toot my own horn too much, but I really try to live... Uh, with integrity and try to practice law with integrity. I think that's super important. I think that most of us do. I really do. I believe that even though lawyers can get a reputation for certain things, I think that most of us practice with integrity and most of us practice with dedication. But I wanted to make sure that I voice that as a watchword so that whenever I see it on my sign out front, I'm reminded what not only what uh, clients expect of me, but what I expect of myself as well. Very good. Very good. Now, I think integrity is so important, and, and it's something that you can't purchase. You can't fake it. Either you got it or you don't. And, you know, we see a lot of the same lawyers on the other side time and time again, and they know the ones who they, who they, who they who do things the right way, and they're the ones that don't do things the right way. Sure. And you want to make sure you're in that bucket of people doing things the right way, which, exactly. which I know you always are. Uh, speaking of lawyers on the other side, I mean, you did defense work for a while. I did. Similar to me. I mean, did that for, for, for a good bit and then made the switch. Um, Mostly medical malpractice cases, is that what you're handling? Mostly uh, by, uh, I guess, um, workload, I would say that it was mostly med mal because they're such comprehensive and uh, complicated and uh, difficult cases. Uh, Did a lot of car wreck stuff, too. Uh, Didn't do that when I was in Atlanta, so I spent a couple of years in Atlanta. uh, Practiced with Andy Goldner, as you know, that's how we became friends. 
uh, doing almost exclusively med-mal defense. And then when I moved up to Gainesville, I did med-mal defense and uh, some other things like car wreck cases and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah, a lot of med-mal. Uh, seems like a whole lot. I'm sure you probably share the experience of me in that a lot of your cold calls are med mile related for some reason yeah i do get a lot of those calls and i never really know how to answer them to be honest you know i've, yeah. I've got three or four you know great medical malpractice attorneys that i'll that i'll call and say you got to bet this for me because I, I truly don't know um you would know because you've defended them but you brought up andy goldner i told him i wasn't gonna be the one that brought him up but since his name is out there man uh <laughs> me and him good very good buddy of mine good buddy of yours of course, we share me and him share space, but uh, I gotta get some stories. Like what, what we got from Goldner back in the day. Oh, Goldner! First of all, Andy Goldner is a fantastic lawyer. He's extremely talented. He self-deprecates with humor, trying to pretend he's not. But you know as well as I do that he is super intelligent and very, very good at what he does. But Andy was a pleasure to know, pleasure to work with. We became very, very fast friends. I started. I interviewed with the firm that we were at in late 2002. And started January 1 of 2003, and Andy and I have been very tight since then. Uh, Andy's got uh, just a uh, not only a great reputation, but he's just a good person, uh, and he comes from good stock. His parents are great people. I've met them. His brother's a great fella. Uh, so, yeah, happy to be friends with Andy Goldner. How much money he paid you to say all these nice things about him? <laughs> you know as well as I do, Andy ain't paying nobody. <laughs> there we go. All right. We got we got a little zinger on him. Uh, he's not even here to defend himself. Um, so when you made the decision to go from the defense side to the plaintiff, what, what I always ask people, like, what was the decision tree? What was the thought process to make that kind of a jump? Sure. Uh, I can tell you a, a brief little story about how that kind of happened. I had been thinking about it for a while. And when you leave an insurance defense firm, um, you really have to make a leap of faith if you're going to do something other than insurance defense, because a lot of insurance companies won't let you keep doing insurance defense and do plaintiff's work at the same time. And so I had made the decision, and I was convicted in the fact that I was going to make the leap of faith and do nothing but plaintiff's work after I left. And um, so when you make that decision, it's got to be a clean cut. And I was surprised that a couple of insurers called me afterwards and said, hey, we'd still like you to do our work. And I just said, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And I, I wanted to uh, start representing folks that I felt like I could get really close to and uh, help them out because that's what, what we do uh, is represent people that really, really need our help. And a lot of times, especially in the med-mal world, uh, as a defense lawyer, it's very thankless. Um, and what I mean by that is... Um, when you defend a doctor and and something happens that it doesn't go your way, well, a lot of times you end up taking the brunt of the blame. Conversely, when you win the case, they say, well, I never did anything wrong to begin with. And I'm not casting disparaging remarks. There are some fantastic physicians that were very thankful for me helping them out when I defended them, um, but that's sort of the feeling that you often get. And I wanted to go to a, uh, a practice where I was able to really make a difference in the lives of the families that I help. And I've tried to do that. I hope I continue to do that. And uh, it's been great so far. The thank yous that you get after you get a great result from a, from a personal injury client mean so much more than the thank yous you get if you get one from the insurance company after winning a case. Yeah, exactly. Right. And to me, that's how I always describe it to people was like, when you win that case for the doctor, well, you're supposed to because the didn't do anything wrong, yeah. you know, and then it's just like, okay, well, let's turn to the next case. And it's why did you bill so much type thing? That's what really got to me. Um, now it is, and you, I'm sure you get these two, these handwritten thank you notes, these voicemails, these just, you really change people's lives and they appreciate it so much and you stay in touch with them. I get pictures from clients, hey, just put a pool in with some of this money or wh whatever it might be. Sure. And to me, that, uh, that makes all the difference in the world. Um, so you went to law school and college at Mercer. I did. Was being an in, being a lawyer and, and doing the kind of work we're doing something that you always wanted to do or something in college, law school led down that, down that path? That's uh, sort of funny. I wished I could say yes, uh, but the truth is no. Um, I went to Mercer, and um, I had been in the Army before college, went back to college as a reservist, and while I was there, I was commissioned as an officer. And once you get commissioned, depending on your commissioning source, uh, meaning you're designated as a commissioned officer in the Army, 
at least at that time, you had a short window after that that you could um, get your degree. You have to have your bachelor's degree. So I graduated from officer's candidate school, and I had 18 months after that to get my degree. And so it was really just what's the fastest way I can get through and get graduated. So I changed my major to political science and just took an overload of courses. Back then it was on the quarter system. I took an overload of courses every quarter and tried my best to graduate as fast as I could because the Army didn't care what kind of degree I had as long as I had a bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. Finished, got qualified, so to speak, with my degree, and then realized that I wasn't going to be an Army grunt forever, and I had I had to have something to fall back on. Well, you can say you're a scientist when you graduate with a poli-sci degree, but you and I both know you're not really doing much other than maybe managing a Wendy's or going back and teaching, and I wasn't interested in either of those, so I decided, well, I better go to law school, and that's how I ended up doing that. So the military service is awesome. Um, so awesome for you to do that. I hope I can do justice to your service by asking the right questions or at least leading to the right areas because sure. I'm just I just I'm just not that's not a great skill set of mine. I'm, I'm I wish it was better than that. But um, graduated high school and you enlisted directly into the army. I, well, I, I did. I enlisted in the Army National Guard actually. Um, but at the time when I was in basic trainings, uh, when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait on August second of ninety. And when that happened, I was in a what's called a critical MOS, a critical military occupational specialty. And so I didn't get released from active duty for a long time. Uh, ultimately, the as we all know, Desert Storm really was a very, very quick conflict. And so the Army changed direction and released a bunch of us early to go to, to school. So that's how I ended up going back to college and getting done with that. Then after college, I went back on active duty for a couple of years and then Decided to go to law school, so I went to law school, then went back on active duty for a few years after that, and then finished as a reservist, ultimately, yeah. Yeah, so for your entire adult life, almost. Pretty much. I came in on December 16th of 89 and um, finished on December 16th of 2010, so 21 years total. Was was military service something that you always wanted to do or something that triggered late in high school, or what was it? It was. I came from a, a sort of a lineage of guys who had served. My dad served and retired uh, as well. My grandpas on both sides, they did. Uh, uncles served, so yeah, it was just sort of expected. Uh, I originally thought I was going to go in and just do a, one enlistment and be done, but I ended up kind of liking it and uh, ended up making some of the closest friendships I've ever had. And, so I just kept going. And you trained for special forces and things like that, right? Well, I went to a little bit of a distinction. I went to special operations unit, okay. um, and I trained. Oh, I mess up these questions. That's okay. That's okay. That's that's great. I trained with uh, some special forces team guys at various times, um, doing some airborne operations and things like that. But I was most of my time was spent with two. Um, parachuting units one was a long-range surveillance unit that i was very proud of a a fantastic unit that um, was in the georgia army national guard but golly we did a whole lot of stuff as an active unit and then um, i went to the 82nd airborne division after uh, i graduated law school and went back in as a judge advocate and i was very proud to have served in that unit as well so yeah but i mean I had a, a lot of great friends that did a lot of different things uh, in the military. Uh, the skill badges that you wear, you look like a glorified Boy Scout a lot. And so it looks really cool on the uniform. But just to be honest, Josh, there's a lot of really outstanding soldiers that I served with. And I would defer to them on uh, on how fantastic we have uh as as military officers we've got some and and military and soldiers we've got some great folks well don't sell yourself short at all my friend you, you're one of those folks i mean you were in we went to afghanistan right yeah I did. I did what year was that 2002 yeah it was uh good experience when it's over with uh wasn't the most pleasant experience while i was there but uh was, was proud to have done it absolutely you mentioned um is it is it, is it not jag but it's being in the well, t- tell me, I mean, yeah, exactly what it is. Okay, so Judge how, Advocate how, General's Court. Yep. 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 So, so talk about that is post law school. How? Do, what is it? Because I had some friends that looked into doing that, but how does that? Like, how does that work? Sure, sure. So, just to kind of back into it, based on my military experience, so I came in as a combat medical specialist 
wanted to be an officer, so I graduated from Officers Candidate School as an infantry officer. That's when I went to the little Airborne Ranger-led company um, and served there. Then I branch transferred to Signal for a very short period of time, which was I, and I became a communications officer in that same unit. Then I went to law school, and I served as an infantry officer in the National Guard through law school. And then after law school, I was kind of one of those guys that wasn't real excited about insurance defense at the time. I'd had some less than uh, fun experiences with a few insurance defense firms in the summers that I worked uh, between our law school years. And then um, uh, decided, well, I know the Army really well. I've been doing it for a long time. I may as well go back and have some fun doing that. So every specialty in the military has a branch and the judge advocate general's corps is the branch for army lawyers and so you go back in uh, or i went back in and you go through a little bit of training to learn military law which largely mirrors uh, our district court system our federal system but there are some distinctions because it's its own set of rules for court martial and own set uh, own set of uh, military rules of evidence and you just get trained to be an Army lawyer. And I got to try a lot of cases. It was a, a lot of a great experience. Uh, but I did three years as that and then came back. Is that out. in Georgia somewhere? No, I was at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Okay. And then I deployed to Afghanistan and came back and finished at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. So is it prosecuting, defending, a little bit of both? I did not do both. You can. I was only a prosecutor um, when I did trial work. So some of the other lawyer jobs that you can do in the military that's a little bit different than um, what you would see on the civilian side, You most folks that become members of the Judge Advocate General's Corps start in what's called legal assistance, and it's kind of like a catch-all general practice type a law firm where you just help young soldiers with various different issues. You can't go out into the civilian courts, but you can at least provide them advice and things like that. And then I transitioned over to being a prosecutor. I was a regimental judge advocate for the 505th Parachute Infantry Regiment, which is a, uh, a brigade of the 82nd Airborne Division. And I did that uh, for a while. And then when I deployed to Afghanistan, I continued as a regimental judge advocate, but then I transitioned over for the latter half of my time there to be what's called an operational law attorney, and that's where you advise the command structure on rules of engagement and the law of war. And uh, incredible stuff. Is there when you have a when you work on a case, is there like a discovery period? Do you exchange documents? Is it kind of similar to what what we would know here with a civil case? A lot of similarities. I would say the only difference is um, depositions are pretty doggone rare. Uh, you can do them under the rules of evidence in the military, but they're pretty rare. It's mostly just a wide open discovery period, and um, you run it all the way up and just get ready for trial, and you don't get to take any depositions, really. You just kind of have to go with your documents and think on your feet and cross-examine based on that. So, so how good of a—I mean, I use the word training, but how good of a training is that for what you're doing now? I mean, oh, can you imagine anything better? Well, I will tell you, it's amazing. It really is. The Army, um, and I'm sure the Navy and the Air Force and the Marine Corps do great with this, too, but— um, they tend to send you to a lot of great training courses. Um, there was one that was in particularly very good uh, criminal law advocacy course that, interestingly, the Army brings in for that course. A lot of instructors that are also instructors in things like uh, Jerry Spence Trial Lawyers College out west. Uh, so it was a lot of great training. And then, you know, you try a whole lot of cases if you're in active jurisdiction. Which led to you to this day probably never being intimidated to walk into a courtroom to try a case. Well, <laughs> I wish I could say that, Josh. You know, I enjoy trying cases. I, I, I'm not one of these guys that sort of needs it to live off of, but I do enjoy it. I do enjoy the adrenaline and the thrill. But to this day, I walk in and I'm a little bit nervous and and uh, walk into a deposition a little bit nervous, and things kind of cool out and calm down, you know, once you get started. But yeah, it's tough getting started. Sometimes. I think the nervous energy is good. It means you care, right? It um, does. It, it means that you're 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 invested, and if you lose that, then maybe you're not into it as much. So I think the word I chose maybe wrongly intimidated. As some lawyers are, like when there's plenty of our colleagues, oh, yeah. that, like. They ain't going to try a case. And whatever that last offer is, they're going to take because they are afraid to walk into that courtroom. But I, I never got that sense from you. And no, certainly with your background, that's not something that I would I would think. I don't feel that way. In fact, I, I think 
I would never feel like a lawyer if I didn't try cases. I, I think that that's the way you really feel like you're doing something to earn your pay and to justify the training and the education that you went through, and it makes me feel good to do it. I, like I said, I enjoy trying cases, um, and yeah, you, you, I, I think the nervous energy that you have when you first get started is kind of like what you feel like or should feel like when you're either riding a motorcycle or flying an airplane, which I've not ridden many motorcycles and I've never flown an airplane, but I understand that when you get to the point where you're a little bit too comfortable, things are starting to get missed. And so I like the nervous energy because it keeps me on my toes, and uh, I think that's what you need to do. Very well said, very well said. Well, one thing we did talk about before we started recording, I asked you if you watched that reality show. I think it's on Fox, that Special Forces, Celebrity Special Forces. If I'm even saying it right. Yeah. Did you Have you tried to even tune into that? So uh, my kids and I watched about uh, 40% of one episode, and um, they asked me, some of the same questions you asked me before we started recording. And uh, I, there's some great folks on there. I'm sure they have some great training, and uh, I'm sure they're working hard to to keep it interesting and keep it entertaining. But uh, I had my fill of it after about 40%. <laughs> it's hard to watch, I'm sure. Yeah, it it's really hard to is. watch. I mean, I feel the same way, not to make this a comparison, but like when I watch a lawyer show. Absolutely. It's like, come on, man. I just I just can't I can't get into it. And my wife's she's like, it's a good show. I'm like, it might be. <laughs> it yeah. might be, but yeah. it, it's just not It's not a good show for That's me. That's a great comparison, yeah. sure. Now, in, in terms of um, competition, you, uh, you have competed in some ranger competitions, right? So, yeah, I was fortunate enough to um, compete in the Best Ranger competition, okay. which is a annual competition held in the spring at uh, Fort Benning, Georgia. It was started by uh, a group that named it after a fellow that really wanted to uh, push the, um, uh, I guess, the display of skills with the Ranger Buddy team. So you team up with another guy, and uh, you go through a pretty grueling competition, and we did a competition at the 82nd Airborne Division where I was at Fort Bragg to see who would qualify to go. And then you move on and uh, uh, you go to the big show and, and go to the real competition in April at Fort Benning. And, yeah, it's tough, but it's it's a lot of fun, too. Now, that would be better TV than watching the reality show. It, and they used to televise it, believe it or yeah. not. Yeah, I've, I've seen one of the versions of the show that I was in because it was filmed by both ESPN and uh, the Outdoor Life Network. And I don't even know if the Outdoor Life Network exists anymore, but it was hosted by uh, Ollie North. And uh, I saw that version. I never saw the ESPN version. So, so with the proper YouTube searches and Google searches, we might be able to find that you footage? You might be able okay. to find something. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, consider me uh, going to go do some search history. Um, all right. The other thing that you do awesome is, is Lazenby Law Group's Hometown Heroes, yep. which is something that your firm is involved in. So yep. talk a little about that. I think it's awesome. So, you know... You see in your cases, and you see it all the time, um, first responders, educators, uh, folks that have touched the lives of the people that you represent, and you often see that it's it's thankless. You know, you got a first responder who saved somebody's life, or provided first aid and care and got them in, or you got a investigating law enforcement officer who went the extra mile when they came to a scene, or you've got a, an educator that meant the world to your client and, and comes and testifies in your cases to help establish the damages in your cases or something like that. And and then you see what they do in your community, and largely they go unrecognized. So I wanted to try to remedy that a little bit, and, and we started doing that. Uh, it's kind of sporadic. Admittedly, uh, I need to uh, name somebody else, and I'm looking at I say applications, that's kind of a loose term. I'm looking at folks that I kind of have filled out in my head an application for them. And and so what I do is I go through and I select somebody that I think uh, has a meaningful contribution to our community in Gainesville and Hall County and send them a questionnaire and ask them to respond and help me out. And then I write up a little narrative on them, put some pictures up, and, yeah, we try to recognize them. Fantastic. I've gone back and looked at some of the, the prior people who've been honored, and your Instagram page does a great job of, of, of highlighting them. And you're right. They're the people that really, you know, are doing great stuff in the community, and, and, and good on you for highlighting them. I you appreciate know, you saying that, that. 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 That's good stuff. So keep that up. Maybe you'll inspire others out there to do, do similar things. Um, all right. I mentioned in the opening 
uh, your record jury verdict. And you didn't ask me to do that. And you're, I know you're, you know, not somebody that boasts about things, but facts are facts and truths are truths. And that was a case that you busted your ass on for years and years and years and years um, in federal court, which is not an easy place to be. Um, $21 million verdict. So I'll first give you the clap on that. Thank you. Thank um, you. Well, well deserved. Um, talk a little bit about that case. Talk about, you know, kind of a brief overview of the facts, some of, some of the, you know, kind of challenges and sure. why that case went to trial. Because, you know, a lot of these cases don't. Sure, sure. So uh, the wreck happened on December 8th, 2016. I represented a family um, of a fella that was just a good salt of the earth great family. Uh, Kip Holland was the decedent. He was just a good, good person. And I'll give you a little bit of background on Kip. So they lived on Holland Drive. Uh, The whole family did. And that's where all the kids grew up. Mrs. Holland had five kids. Kip was one of them. Um, And he had special needs. And he lived with his mom. He was 50 years old. And the way he would get around is he walked everywhere. And Highland Drive is off of Brownsbridge Road in Gainesville, and it's about two miles from a local convenience store. And so what Kip would do is he'd get up in the morning, and he'd walk that two miles, and he might go buy some groceries for his mom or something like that and walk it back. Um, and along the way, he met tons of people because if he saw, you know, if they had sticks in their yard and they could pick them, he could pick them up for them or cut their grass or something like that. So he had a relationship with people all across the little path that he took every day. And everybody in that two-mile stretch knew him. And the two-mile stretch included, very close to Holland Drive, a place called Mincy Marble. It's no longer there, but it was a marble fabrication company. Um, and Kip would walk by there every day, and they all knew him in the reception area and stuff like that. Occasionally, they'd give him a bottle of water like you've done for me here, Josh. and cool him down a little bit and uh, so he was walking back from his trip to the convenience store one day and a fellow was driving an 18-wheeler on a route and had some sort of event um, and it's not really clear exactly what that event was but he ran off the road and ran over Kip and took his life and so shortly after that um, the family made their way to me and i represented kip's brother who was the administrator of the estate and his mom who was the uh, plaintiff in the wrongful death action and we started investigating very quickly and it was an interesting case and i've told this to several folks and a lot of things i learned i did what a lawyer friend of mine calls dirt work and i just went out to the scene and i was on the scene within 10 days of the wreck having happened, it was right at Christmas, and I just stood where Kip got killed. And I looked around to see what I could see and to just notice really what it was like for him to walk in that route. And um, a little bit scary because there was a lot of traffic, a lot of 18 wheels that flowed through that location, but I happened to see off in the distance that Mincy Marble had security cameras. So I walked across the road and walked into the Mincy Marble reception area, and I said, hey, I saw you guys had security cameras out here, any of them oriented toward the road. And so they called up a fellow that uh, was the head of their safety and security office, and I asked him the same thing. He said, yeah, as a matter of fact, we do. He said, let me look, I'll review the footage, and I'll see if I got anything. Give me your email address, and I'll send it to you. So I said, okay, and I gave it to him, and I went back to my office and started writing down some notes on some things that I observed and downloading my pictures that I took and stuff like that. Well, lo and behold, about 45 minutes later, he sends me an email with four videos that showed the actual event occurring. It was extremely difficult to watch. In fact, the family that I represented never watched it and never wanted to see it, um, and I could certainly understand that, but it spoke volumes about exactly how the collision happened, so it became kind of the centerpiece of evidence. It was the first thing that I put up, and um, interestingly, the defense did some things in the case leading up to the insurance company and the defense and leading up to the trial that um, were incredible, and I really thought that... Uh, that they were making some big mistakes. Um, we had tried to resolve the case, and they denied our attempts to resolve it. Um, so ultimately, we went to trial, and um, it was 
placed on full display for the jury to see exactly what they were doing that was very unreasonable in trying to defend the case. And when you say incredible, you don't mean incredible like they're putting up these incredible defenses and make a lot of sense for them. Incredible like I can't believe these are defenses they're actually asserting and, and, exactly. and games they are playing. I, I, I should use a better term, probably shocking to shocking the conscience. Shocking to the conscience, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because, because, I mean, we've talked about them before, and you mentioned an event. Um, it was a, 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 a sudden medical emergency that what they were claiming they were saying that's what caused this yeah that was their their claim and um and i mean that was being that was what the, happened to the driver of the tractor trailer. exactly he experienced some sort of medical episode that that was their allegation and so there was two things that i responded with that first of all there was very very little evidence in fact there was almost no evidence of a medical emergency other than some speculative comments that was placed on the police report by the investigating trooper Great fella, worked really hard. He just didn't really know how to explain how a guy would run off the road and run over somebody who's very clearly in his view. But we also were fortunate enough that the video from Mincy Marble picked up a fella that um, that uh, had witnessed it and had called 911. And so, like you do, Josh, you know, you send an open records request, you get all this information. Well, Hall County is one of the places that takes a, a very literal reading of some protections that some regulations provide, and they black out every bit of contact information for anybody on 911. So you get this 911 call, and you don't have anything but a name. You don't have any phone number. You don't have any address. You don't have anything. So I start looking at the video really, really close and breaking it down and trying to figure out who this guy is. Well, the video showed a uh, F-150 with a pretty fancy triathlete bike in the back. And I thought to myself, well, and this is a lot of luck. There's a lot of luck in what we do, too. Um, he's heading out Brownsbridge Road towards Cumming. His name is Scott Carpenter, and he's got a triathlete's bicycle in the back of his F-150. That's all I had to go on. So I Googled Scott Carpenter triathlete coming Georgia, and I had a hit. So then I went and looked at the tax records and employment, just trying in any employment type of searches I could do, and I found a Scott Carpenter that was a pastor, associate pastor, at Cumming First Baptist Church. And so I called Cumming First Baptist Church, and I introduced myself, and I said, hey, I know this is a long shot, but do you guys happen to have a Scott Carpenter who's a big bicyclist, a triathlete there? And they said, yeah, as a matter of fact, we do. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm on to something. And then I said, do you know if he maybe is a guy who witnessed a wreck uh, back in, on December 8th? And they said, yeah, as a matter of fact, he did. And I said, can I speak to him? And they said, well, he's not here right now. Can I take a message? So I left my information. He called me back. He's like, yeah, I was there, and I saw it. And I had been behind this guy for about a mile and a half or two miles, and he was weaving all over the road. He said, in fact, I feel bad now because I was picking up the phone to call 911 when he ran over that fella and killed him. And so one of the defenses being sudden medical emergency, it's an act of God defense, and it has to happen extremely suddenly. In fact, the statute itself in 131, OCGA 131, defines it and compares it to a strike of lightning, so it's got to be that fast. Well, two miles at 45 miles per hour is a little over two minutes. That's not lightning fast. And so one of the ways that we overcame the Sudden Medical Emergency Act of God defense is to prove that he was experiencing a problem weaving all over the road for about two minutes or two miles. And, uh, and that was effective. Uh, the other piece to it was the tractor-trailer driver had fabricated a lot of his responses to his medical history when he applied to get his DOT clearance to drive tractor trailers. He was 76 years old, which was shocking to me that there is no maximum age for driving tractor trailers either. But he had uh, falsified much of his medical history, and we had all of his medical history because they opened the door to his medical history with attempting this. By making that defense. Making this defense, exactly. And I was able to show through the fellow that ultimately approved him to drive that had he known about all of these ailments and issues and conditions that he wouldn't have approved him. But all of those ailments, issues, and conditions also led to him, he should have reasonably foreseen and expected that he would have a medical event. 
So I'll, I'll use the word incredible now to describe the luring that you did to, to come to where you were, right? I mean, in, in no particular order, getting the video from a gas station, whatever you, the, the name you called it. Um, that's good. That's, that's something that is, 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 is great lawyering. Doing what you did to find the witness, right? I mean, that's, that's great lawyering. Um, taking the deposition, getting medical records, and proving this guy is not fit to drive. I bring all that up to say that people that don't really do our jobs and aren't in our space, um, they see these these verdicts, they hit the news, and they read record setting, and they always say like, "Oh, those great, those greedy lawyers, or tort reform, or this is too high," and da da da. And this is not talking bad about the general public. But they don't know what goes into it oh, to yeah. get that kind of a verdict, right? And so I hope people hear you know, what you did to arrive at, and I just mentioned three things. Um, and that's what drives these verdicts, right? It's, sure. it's not just out of thin air. Sure. And it's the behavior by the defense that pisses the jury off. Yeah, exactly. That makes them want to not only compensate your client, but also in some way punish the defense, right? I mean, did you experience, did you feel like that was part of what the jury was coming in at? Yeah, yeah, I really did. I felt like, first of all, the jury was very attentive. They're a very bright jury. Um, Northern District of Georgia draws from 16 counties. So you got a lot of uh, varied backgrounds and varied folks that uh, show up for the jury pool. And uh, federal court's a little bit different than state court. Uh, the judges run a very tight ship. You're on a very tight schedule, both through the discovery period and through uh, trial prep and trial presentation. So you have a very short period of time to select your jury. But, yeah, we uh, we had a good jury, and they um, – talked to us after it was over with and confirmed exactly what you said, that it really bothered them that the defense was defending it the way that they did because there really just was no defense to it. I mean, an 18-wheeler runs off the road and kills a pedestrian. You just own it. Yeah. And and you mentioned this earlier that you made attempts to resolve the case. Like, you would have preferred to not have to put your clients through this, and they that's didn't right. want to do it, right? That's right. So that's the other side of it is that it's not like – and I can't think of one case I've ever handled where we didn't give a fair opportunity for the insurance company to resolve the case. Yep. Can you think of one? No. And and so if they don't take you up on that offer, like what are you supposed to do? Yeah. And then if they go cry about what the result is. It's like, well, guys, you kind of had your chance. What, what more can you ask of us? So that's that's the narrative that the media you, we see sometimes that kind of bothers me, you know. Um, and so I think it's important to kind of hear a story about yours because then even when you get the verdict, they go to appeal it, right? It's not like a stroke you check the next day. Uh, absolutely. So that went on for how long? So um, we were able, just to give you a, an idea, the verdict came back February 6th of 2020. Um, ultimately, we were able to reach an agreement and resolve the entire case in August of 22. So, um, yeah, it took some time, a little so, over two years. So, so you're talking however, many, however long it takes to get the case developed and discovery, get to trial, do the trial, and then another two years on appeal. So, you know, these, these verdicts, these results, it's not easy. It's not easy work. No, it's not easy work. And I was very fortunate to have some good folks helping me. There's a, a, a pellet lawyer who does personal injury as well named Stacy Carroll, and he helped me with the appeal. And Stacy also came up with Andy and me at, uh, at our old firm. And Stacy's a phenomenal lawyer, and he, he did great work on the appeal. Yeah, totally. I, I read a lot of y'all's briefs and arguments, and it's just it's, it's brilliant. Uh, the video, you said that your clients never wanted to watch it. So when you when you played it at trial, did they just excuse themselves? Yeah, we were uh, – I was very aware. Um, Patricia Hollins um, was Kip's mama. Um, she was 80 <clears throat> when we tried the case. but and Well, I'll say 80. No, she was 79. And Kip was 50 when he passed away, but he was still her baby. And yeah. she didn't want to see anything like that. And Kip's brother and he were very close – and um, Wayne is his name, and Wayne didn't want to see it. And they told me they didn't want to see it. And so not inappropriately, and it was not some theatrical display in front of the jury, but outside the presence of the jury, I just requested that the judge allow them to step outside. And they did. And then we brought the jury in. We played the, uh, put up the first witness to play the video. And uh, after it was over with, we took a quick break and brought them back in and that was why we did that yeah. yeah no that makes a lot of sense well again congratulations on all that stuff it's awesome very inspiring um you switching gears a little bit you'd mentioned a mediation business 
yep. um, which I know is new. Yes. And you're excited about and it's, doing, it's going great. So talk a little about the kind of case you all are servicing. Lots of lawyers listen to this podcast. Well, sure. Let's do. Tell sure. They tell me they listen. If you're listening, thanks for listening. Um, they've got cases that you guys can, can help them with. So talk a little about it. Sure. Well, I mean, like you, Josh, I had a lot of experience with going to some fine mediation companies in the city. <clears throat> sort of four large ones that we all know about and use. But irrespective of my um, eagerness to drive down to the city today to, to sit down with you, I'm not a big fan of hitting the traffic in the city. I like being up in the country in Hall County. And I thought to myself, you know, there's really no other entity like the ones in the city up here up north. And we've got great mediators up there and great quality folks that can mediate cases outside the city. And so <clears throat> I had some space in my building, and uh, I just decided, you know what, I can uh, remodel that space, uh, set it up nicely to create a good mediation-type environment, and I'm just going to do that. And my idea, I thought, was pretty simple. It ended up being a little more complex. Always but, is, right? Yeah, exactly. But we ended up uh, remodeling the bottom floor of my building, and uh, we have enough space to do a large uh, single mediation or a couple of smaller uh, mediations at the same time. We have Zoom stations is what I call them. We have some remote capabilities to where one side can be remote and one side can be present, or a mediator can be present and uh, the uh, parties be remote um, and we offer lunch we offer snacks we offer the warm cookies in the afternoon uh, we do all that and i've got 13 contracted mediators right now and an entity called legion mediation okay. named it after the roman legion just because i'm a big history buff and i really like the history of rome and so it's legion mediation and we mediate every kind of case you can think of. I was going to ask, is it car wrecks, truck wrecks? Is it only personal injury stuff? Or? No, no. Far beyond personal injury, we've got yeah. folks that are specializing in um, education law, in um, uh, family law and domestic disputes. We've got business law mediators. We've got personal injury mediators, lots of wrongful death experience. We've got a couple of med mouse specialists. We've got comp specialists. We've got probate specialists. Yeah, we've got... A good in that thirteen folks, we run the gamut. I think, uh, and we got great, great, great personal injury folks too. So all your needs right there in one spot, right? Exactly. Now, are you mediating too, or I am not. Is uh, that one? Is that something that you might get into, or? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Yeah, uh, it, I am. Uh, interestingly, um, I try to stay out of that. I, I kind of still like being a trial lawyer, and and that consumes my days, but. Um, We've got 13, like I said, 13 mediators. They are phenomenal lawyers and non-lawyers, too. We've got two ladies that specialize in domestic and education. They're retired educators, and they're fantastic um, and just brilliant folks. I feel like I'm George W. Bush and uh, that I'm not that bright, but I surround myself with hey, with brilliant people. <laughs> you hear that from lots of people, right? Like That's the key to success is, is find people smarter than you and yep. surround yourself by them. Yep. Awesome. Well, best of luck with the mediation. If you're out there listening, um, you, yeah, give them a try. How do you find what's Is it off your website or is it a different place? Different place. Legion Mediation, all one word, legionmediation.com. Awesome. All right. We're going a little longer than I told you we would. Um, if you give me five more minutes, I'd appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. All right. So um, your marketing stuff, I think that you are like me in terms of you do a lot of community-based marketing. Um, one of my taglines is, you know, we are your neighbors in the pursuit of justice, something like that. Sure. Because the majority of my, of my clients are people in my area, in my network, in my community, people that know me. And I get the sense that that's kind of, kind of your approach as well. Is it, am I right by saying that? It is. Um, largely, my caseload uh, comes from word of mouth around the community. Um, I do have some lawyers that, that are uh, nice enough to bless me with some of their cases that they bring me in on. And, uh, but yeah, it's largely community-based and um, just find people up where we live. And, and I think they like the local lawyer. Um, uh, you know, there's a lot of competition in what we do. Um, and it's, uh, it's not uncommon for us to see the commercials and see the billboards and 
realize that that business model is a little bit different than what we try to do. And so um, one of the, I guess, probably my biggest tagline, I will say, is real injuries need real trial lawyers. And um, and that's kind of the mantra that I go with. You know, if uh, we're not the same as, as uh, some of the business models that you see on the billboards and TV, but uh, we work hard. And uh, if you hire my law firm, you're going to hear from me. You're going to talk to me. You're going to exchange emails, text messages, telephone calls with me. And I've got two ladies who work with me, and they're great folks. But uh, I take a personal interest in every case I've got. Yeah, I mean, that you nailed it. I mean, that that's very much how I look at it. You're not going to see me or you on billboards. You know, um, not there, there's a there's a place for that, and there's there's law firms that do that, and they're great at it. But that that's not us, right? right. Um, your Instagram page, I think, is a beautiful page. That's the word I would use. Thank I mean, you. It's Lazenby Law. Um, you know, the way that your your pictures are displayed, I think, is awesome. I try to to think about how it's going to look. You know, when someone clicks on my Instagram page, because that's where a lot of the eyes are going. So. Sure. Keep your post coming, man. Thank you. Keep doing it. Uh, well, look, thank you. This was great. Um, did we miss anything? Anything else that you want to hit? Uh, the mics are rolling. You said yeah, you give me a few more minutes, but I think this was – I really enjoyed doing this today. So thank you for coming down. I appreciate it, Josh. I am honored to be here. We've got some some lunch waiting for us. Uh, Andy, you saw him just walk in. I was probably going to pop his head in and try to – you know, he can't turn down a chance to be on a microphone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but when I said lunch was coming – you damn well better believe that he made his way back into the <laughs> office. So anyway, we'll we'll uh, we'll invite him in, have some lunch. Maybe we'll turn the camera, the the, the uh, microphones back on, and let you two have some banter. But in any event, um, all right. So you said what the mediation website was, but how they find you, your firm, phone number, things like that. Thank you, Josh. So uh, my website for my law firm is Laz, like the first part of my last name, Laz Law Group. Dot com all one word phone number 678-971-1166 uh, my email is shane at laslawgroup.com that's the best way to reach out to us love it it's awesome all right guys thank you all for listening i know you all enjoyed this one as much as i did go back and find some old episodes if you want to listen to some other other good lawyers other good guests sportsandtorts.com always there as always keep chopping thanks guys 